A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon on how to be a failure. Anybody remember that? How to be a failure. Then I preached one last Sunday, how to be a success, how to be faithful. Tonight, we're going to throw a cog in the wheel, and you need to know how to get it out. But you need to understand what can go wrong. I mean, if you don't want to be a failure and you want to be successful, what can go wrong? Absolutely nothing, huh? Well, Murphy's Law is that if it can go wrong, it will. And uh, if something can happen to you to keep you from enjoying life, it will. But I want to explain a few things to you so that you know the consequences of your bad decisions. I have a computer. And they have designed these computers to where they can get viruses so they can sell you a program on how to keep the virus out. And then you've got to keep paying them so that you can keep it out continually for the rest of your natural born life. I thought, if you could do it, why didn't you just put it in there so that it can't get in there? They call it a firewall. Got to build a firewall because it gets a virus. It could just eat up everything in there and ruin your whole hard drive. I've never lost my hard drive yet. And as I know of, I don't know if I've had a virus, but I, I've been told I have had some viruses. Uh, I know I've had a, a few viruses in my body, too. And if you get a virus, you can get sick. And so you try to figure out a way to keep yourself well. So you take all these vitamins and all this, that, and the other. Well, there's one virus that you have. It's called a sinful nature. You have a sin virus. And you can't get it out of your body. And drugs won't help. It might numb you where you can't think. But you have within you a, a terrible virus that can ruin your hard drive. Where you can't think and you can't reason. You can't relate, can't record, can't absorb. This old sinful nature that you and I have, we got it from the day we were born. And so you, you need to know if I want to be faithful, what can go wrong? Well, this is what can go wrong. And you need to know what's it going to cost you. Because it's going to cost you something if you let that virus run free through your computer. Now, I don't have to worry too much about up here. All I got is a one gigabyte. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Jeremiah. Book of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And he had enough to weep about. The people he was in charge of were pathetic. If they could do something wrong, they did it. And it didn't make any difference what God told them to do. They were not going to do it. They were a bunch of hard-headed, stiff-necked individuals. Boy, I'm glad we don't have anybody like that here. But understand that God had told Israel what he wanted them to do, how he would bless them, how much he loved them, and how he would protect them and provide for them. And... Uh, they just so much as just snubbed their nose at God and says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and live how I want to live. So God says, if you want to have those gods from all the other countries, good. I'll just send you to the other country where those gods are. Well, look what he says here in Jeremiah chapter 5 and look in verse 21. Verse 21. He said in verse 21, hear now this. O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, 
which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Don't you, don't you fear me? I mean, here's God, the true and living God, made the heavens and the earth. Did all these wonderful things for Israel. He says, don't you fear who I am? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> and they said, no, we don't know who you are. God had done so much for them. And so he says here in verse 22, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bounds of the sea for a perpetual degree? He said that it cannot pass it. And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. That looks like a description of the people in America. Everybody's in revolt. Nobody wants anybody to tell them what they can and cannot do. And everybody's trying to lay down the law, make everybody else do whatever they want. Wives don't want to obey their husbands. Husbands don't want to obey God. Kids don't want to obey parents. And citizens don't want to obey the government. And the government doesn't want to obey God. Everybody's in revolt. You just saw this in Congress this, the last few weeks. Well, the last few years. It's pathetic. If we only had men of character. We've got a bunch of characters. But I'm talking about men with character. And it says here in verse 24. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain. Both the former and the latter in his season, he reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. To know that the God who made the heavens and the earth, determined the boundaries of the seas, can control the, the air, the rain. And it says he's the one that's promised us the former and the latter rain upon our crop and all this and the abundance and everything that you need. He said, you would think that people would have a little bit more respect for God. But they didn't. So he says here in verse 25, and you ought to underline verse 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things from your sins have, he says, and your sins have withholden good things from you. Now think what that verse says. That your sins is keeping good things from you. So if you only knew what good things you have given up because of sin. Now we won't know until we get to heaven to see what it's cost us. But you cannot sin against God and win. Nobody ever has, nobody ever will. But to understand that there is a virus on the inside of us. And if he gets control of you, he'll ruin your life. It's that old sinful nature that you have, the desire to do your own thing, go your own way. It's rebellion to God. And few people ever really want to do whatever God wants them to do. But he says in verse 26, For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. Wicked people catch people. Now, the Bible says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We're supposed to catch men also, but we're supposed to catch them with truth. They're catching them with lies. So you're either submitting yourself to a life of truth or a life of lies, whichever way you want to go. And the thing is, is the people, look up there in the middle part of verse 31. Look at verse 31, where it says, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. And get this, 
And you ought to underline this statement. My people love to have it so. And the people like it. You would think that people would be wise enough after a while. Israel was one blessed people. God blessed them with so much, and yet they still did not see and understand it. But anyway, here we are. We're 2,000 years since the time of Christ, and God has given us his word. Bless us in a wonderful country. We got freedoms that most people around the world never enjoy, and we abuse it. We don't take advantage of it to use our lives for the Lord the way we should. Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, the book of Ephesians and chapter 4. Now, we're just going to look at a few verses that you already know them. None of this is new to you, but I want you to be sold and convinced that though you may know what will cause you to fail because of attitudes and stuff, and you may know that, okay, I want to be faithful, you need to know that there's the devil, and he will try to use that sinful nature of yours to put a cog in the wheel so it won't roll, so that you can achieve what you want. So here in Ephesians in chapter 4, look in verse 30. The verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. Now, the day you trusted Christ as your Savior. When you heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for all of your sins, you believed he did it for you, God saves you. Saves you from hell. That means you don't get to go to hell. He gives you eternal life. You're now his child, and as his child, you're going to heaven. And the Bible says that you were sealed that very moment with the Holy Spirit of promise. And it says here, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit has power. The Holy Spirit has influence. The Holy Spirit is not power and influence. The Holy Spirit is a person that has power and influence. The Holy Spirit is what we call in the Word of God. He is the unknown God that most people never know anything about. But the Holy Spirit is God living inside of you when you trusted Christ as your Savior. And God says that we grieve the Holy Spirit. So you need to know and understand that when I choose to sin, I choose to grieve God. Think about it and think it through. When I choose to sin, to rebel against God, to do something that's wrong, then I know it's wrong. I chose to cause God grief. If there's anyone that we should love, anyone we should fear, anyone we should you know, respect, it ought to be the Lord. He's the last one that you should ever want to cause grief to. And yet God says that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. So we know that we're blessed by God in the heavenlies. And there's things yet that God wants to give us here upon the earth. So God has been good to it. Well, the Bible says here in Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse 1, where he makes a statement, be ye followers of God. It means to be imitators of God. And I thought, wouldn't it be something if every time we got ready to do something, we would say um, something along this line. I'm going to pretend I'm Jesus. Now, what would Jesus do? Instead of trying to be like Jesus, pretend that you are Jesus. Would that make you think twice? Before I say, when you're talking to somebody, whether it's the wife or the kids or the husband or, you know, boss, anybody, I'm going to pretend I'm Jesus. Now, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? How am I supposed to respond? How am I supposed to react or respond to whatever's going on? I thought that, that would make a good sermon. But I haven't got it done, so I can't preach it yet. 
but I want you to get this. Look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. I want you to know that, yes, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, and when you are rebellious, you grieve God. When the woman rebels against her husband, it grieves God. When the husband is not a loving husband or a good father, it grieves God. It causes him grief. And I can tell you right now, you're not going to grieve God and win. I don't think that's a wise thing to do. But here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, look in verse 19. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. So whenever you trusted Christ as your Savior, you know you have been bought and paid for. You belong to whoever bought you. Well, Christ died on the cross and paid for my sins. He owns me. I trusted him as my Savior. His death put to my account. And the payment he made, I've been bought. I've been redeemed. Paid for. So I belong to the one who bought me. And the Lord says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God? And then he says in verse 20, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So it's like God, he's got my body and my spirit and me, which is the soul. So he bought my body, soul, and spirit. I belong totally to the Lord. So if I belong to him, should I want to cause him grief? You see, the Lord should be the most important thing in your life. And if he's not, sin is going to take its toll upon you. You're not going to be doing like you should. Turn in your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter and chapter 3. This is the scripture that I usually use with marriage. You know, husband and wife. Talking to them about problems. And everybody has a few problems here and there, but... Uh, some people maybe have less than others, but it's a wonderful thing to know that uh, God has given to us an example. And he makes a statement here, and I want you to see this in verse 7. See, he talks about in the first six verses about the way the woman is supposed to be. How godly she's supposed to be, sweet and wonderful and all that kind of stuff. Then it talks about the man, and it says there in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, and you ought to underline this part of the verse. So you need to know, what will my sin cost me? What's it going to cost me? It's going to cost you and hinder your prayer life. Because, see, when you're not right with the Lord, you're not going to be praying like you ought to. When you're not right with other people, you're not going to be praying like you ought to. Because it becomes a virus, and it contaminates you. And it makes you where you can't think clearly. And you get in a fit of rage sometimes, and you're ruled by emotions, and you don't think rationally like you should think. And that's why God says, I want you to know what it's going to cost you. I didn't put these verses in the Bible. God put them in there. I'm just trying to bring them to your attention. Even though you may already know them, and it may not be that you need it today, but you might need it tomorrow or the next day because you don't know what's going to happen down the road. And we don't know what's going to transpire in our life as far as what people are going to say or do. 
or what you're going to say or do. I'm glad that there is a verse in the Bible that says whenever we sin against the Lord, though we have a verse that says 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's to the believer on fellowship between Him and God. So, Anyway, these are some good verses that you need to keep in mind. Now, take your Bible and look in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. The Apostle Paul talks about wanting to win, to gain, and uh, he lays it out pretty strong. Talks about us all running a race. He says, and we run because we want to win. He says, but they in the world run to obtain a corruptible crown, and we an incorruptible crown. It means that our time running this race is not a waste of time. It means that after you trust Christ as your Savior, the time that God gives us to live, that God wants us, as His children, to serve Him, to run the race. And if we run the race according to the rules, then God is going to reward us when we get to heaven. I played a little football, a little basketball, and a little softball, and baseball, and uh, Chinese checkers. And, but anyway, I've, I've, I've played a few sports. I don't have to be good at any of them, just enjoy them. But in everything that you do, there's always rules and regulations. Now, on myself, when I get ready to bat, I really don't like for there to be an umpire. And I don't like it when the pitcher is trying to be the umpire. I want to call the balls and strikes because the only reason I didn't swing at those that are high and low and outside and inside is because they were all balls. I didn't want to swing at those. I'd rather be the umpire. But, you know, it doesn't work very good if everybody becomes their own umpire. When I'm running to first base and I get there, if he gets there an inch before I get there, they, could, they call me out. I would rather be the umpire and say I'm safe. Now, would I be prejudiced if I was the umpire? Of course not. You know I'd be fair. You, you're always out. Me, I'm always safe. And when I get up there to bat, I don't, I don't like to bunt. I want to hit a home run. So every time I hit, I'm trying to hit it as hard as I can, as far as I can, because that's the way I am. I, I do everything like that. But on a team, there comes a time when you have to listen to the you know, you, if you got a ref, you got a coach, uh, you got to listen to what somebody tells you for the team's sake. What, you know, the way you win or you lose. And the last thing I'd want is somebody to say, just bun it down to third of the baseline. No. Sometimes you need a coach, somebody that can see what you're doing and give you some good advice. You see, on our team, the, the Lord, yeah, he, he's, he's the coach. He's, he's calling the, the play. He's the one that's, you know, he's the umpire. And he tells us what to do and what not to do. And make sure that you understand that everybody on his team gets to bat. Everybody on his team gets to bat. Every one of his children will have an opportunity. It may not be that you get to go first. You just sit and be patient. God will use every one of his on his team. But now, if you can't listen to the coach, 
You know what the coach might do or the ref might do? or the, He might just tell you to go sit on the bench. When it comes to serving the Lord, the Apostle Paul says, I play by the rules. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself am disqualified and I have to go sit on the bench. That's what he says there in verse 27. He said, but I bring my body under subjection. I want to rule my body, not my body rule me. That when I preach to others, I myself, if not a castaway, or set aside because it's talking about what sin can do to you. Sin can take you out of the game. The game is so important. What we live for, our cause, is so important. And you don't want to have to be set aside or set on the shelf. You want God to use you. It's so important. Take your Bible look in Psalms 51. The 51st Psalm. All the way back there in the Old Testament. The 51st Psalm. There was a guy by the name of David. Anybody remember David? You know that young boy that went out there and he took a bear and ripped him apart with his bare hands? Did the same thing with a lion? And took off the head of Goliath? Wouldn't that have been something that had that on video? Man, I'd show that every day. How the, the little boy took down the big giant. And when he slung that thing around, the Holy Spirit took that little rock and guided that little rock, and he planted it right in the middle of his forehead. It sunk it in there, and the man was dead because he, he yielded to the Lord. And God raised him up and says, you're going to be the king of Israel. A lot of things happen in young David's life. And finally, he got to be the king. And when he got to be the king, well, the time came when kings go out to battle. That's what kings do. But there came a time when this king didn't want to go out to battle. You see, he had been up in his palace, and he overlooked, and uh, lo and behold, he saw this beautiful woman. And I don't know how far away it was or whatever, but whatever it was caught his eye. And next thing you know, she was in the palace. And next thing you know, she was in his bed. Next thing you know, she's having a kid. Now to cover up that sin, he had Uriah, he says, he had him taken and put in the heat of the battle so that he would die. So he was guilty of adultery and he was guilty of murder. So God's going to have to whoop him. Here's a, a man after God's own heart, one that God had greatly used. And David's last days of his life, he had misery upon misery upon misery. Of all the things that happened in his families. Did he get away with it? Didn't get away with it. And so God took something away from David that David loved. Not only taking the child, but he took the joy of his salvation away. He didn't have any joy. So he says here in Psalms 51, he says in verse 1, he said, Lord, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. And then he says down there in verse 6, Behold, thou desireth truth in the inward part. In the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. God doesn't beat the tar out of him. And his joy was gone. He was in misery. He says uh, in a, a, a 30-something psalm, he said he just he cried day and night. He was dried up like a potsherd. He was just, everything was going wrong in David's life. 
Because, you see, he was carrying sin that he was hiding. And he hadn't come clean between him and God. And God had to deal with him. So he says um, in verse 10, Create in me a new heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was used by God to come upon people to do certain works, and then would leave. The promise in the New Testament, in John chapter 14, and verse 16, it says, And I will give you a comforter that may abide with you forever. And the comforter, in verse 26 of John chapter 14, is the Holy Spirit. So when you and I trust Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us and will never leave us and never forsake us. The Old Testament, before Christ died, yes. But that doesn't mean that David lost his salvation. David did not lose his salvation. But he did lose the joy. That's why he says in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, because whenever you give me my joy back, he said, I'll teach transgressors thy ways. Sinners shall be converted unto thee. So he was talking about how that God didn't want to sacrifice from him. He wanted a broken and contrite heart. You see, God doesn't want your sacrifice in the sense that that's supposed to make up for it. God wants you, when you rebel against the Lord, when you sin against the Lord, He wants you to come broken before Him. He wants you to humble and submit yourself to Him and call it what it is. Say, I sinned against you. And God says He's faithful and just to forgive. If you don't, then you carry around the guilt because you know it's not right yet. You try to hide it from God. But you can't hide anything from God. God knows everything. And it just kind of weighs upon you. And you don't have that freedom, that lifting off of it. That, that You've got that heavy cloud that just follows you everywhere you go. And you want the bright sunlight. You want the, the weight lifted off your shoulders. And God can do all of that for you. But if you try to hide your sin from God, it's going to cost you dearly. You come straight to the Lord. You humble yourself and you confess the sin and forsake the sin as a believer. And God will bless you and restore a lot of things to you. But it's the joy that he was talking about. See that in verse 17? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, thou will not despise. God won't despise that. That's what God is after. God knows that we all fail, we all sin. Just, just make sure that when you do, you own up to it. And God will take care of everything else. 